morning. Good morning. What a joy to come and share with you today. I uh, look forward to uh, being with you on this occasion. And it's been a little while since Pastor Roger invited me to come. And as soon as he invited me, I kind of knew what the message was I was going to use. Until about a month ago, I decided that wasn't the right message necessarily. And about a week ago, I decided again that whatever else I had wasn't the right message. And the Lord has led me on a, on a venture to uh, share some thoughts with you today about the subject you see in the, the handout and about being loved to death. And I appreciate all the music. And it always uh, gives me extra joy when I'm ready to preach. And I hear the music, and it's in tune with what I'm going to preach. But then when you think about our good hymnals and the hymns we have, and the Word of God, then they ought to go together, shouldn't they? And so we praise the Lord for that. Uh, just by way of uh, some other thoughts, uh, Pastor Roger and I, we have a lot in common. And uh, in relationship, we have some commonality as cousins, second cousins. And we have some other things in terms of preaching the Word of God. I guess there's one thing we don't have in common, and that's our size. <laughs> and, uh, I understand we might be up for the Mutt and Jeff Award, but uh, I expect to turn it down because I self-identify as tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> In seriousness, would you turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4? 1 John chapter 4. Verse 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not know God he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. <clears throat> In this is love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the complete sacrifice, death for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is your word. As I thought yesterday morning, as I looked at this message that you helped me and you gave me to put together, I thought, Lord, just help me to be your servant in declaring your word, your message of truth, that it might affect our hearts each one of us, and draw us closer to your throne of grace, and to desire more and more to worship our glorious Savior, the one who is worthy of all praise. So bless our time together today now, and these few moments, hide me behind the cross, that we might see Jesus and what he did for us. In his name we pray. Amen. There's a story that I read in one of Tony Evans' book about the cross. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it goes like this. 
Tony Evans calls it a mythical story, and you'll understand that it is. That it is. Two men were standing outside a place of merchandise, talking to one another, and one suddenly looked up and said to the other man, he said, there's this ugly creature coming toward me. And the other man looked around and looked and said, that's Mr. Death. And the fellow said, well, what shall I do? He's coming right toward me. He said, if I were you, I would get on my horse and ride out of town and get as far away from here as possible, which is what he did. He rode to a neighboring town and got off his horse somewhat relieved that he'd escaped what was called Mr. Death. As he got off his horse and wiped his brow and looked up, and there stood Mr. Death, looking him straight on, and he said, I've come for you. And the man said, I don't understand. He said, I just saw you in my hometown just a while ago. And I come here to escape you, and you're here. And the man said, or the ugly creature, Mr. Death said, I'm a little curious about that myself. I saw you in your hometown, but I've come here tonight for you. My appointment tonight was for you. You see, the scripture does say, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And as regards of who we are, and what kind of elixirs you drink, and what kind of water you drink, whether from the fountain of youth or whatever, and the different things you try, at some point in time, it is appointed unto us. Once to leave this life. Once to leave this life. I ask you a question. Think about it. Don't answer out loud because I have another question. How many of you have ever been dead? Second question. How do you identify with this scripture? And God has made you alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now I think you can answer that question, can't you? If you're a Christian today, you know that you were dead in trespasses and sin, and you're alive now in Christ because God has made you alive because of His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for you, died by that death on your behalf. But the question is not so much today about the death itself. The question is, then what? Then what? Or as Francis Schaeffer would have put it, how shall we then live? Or as the Apostle Peter would put it when he talked about the end of time, and all these things will be dissolved. He said, seeing as how these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be? That's the direct question for us today. Let me suggest today three answers to that, and this will not be all-inclusive, I'm sure, and I pray as you hear this message today, you'll be able to fill in some little pieces on your own as you think about it and evaluate your own life and your future and how you live. Prepare for the inevitable. Proclaim and practice your faith. Then proceed with living in Christ and rejoicing as you do. Preparing for the inevitable is the point of the man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. And I begin by saying this in a practical sense, in a secular 
earthly sense. We need to be conscious of others and those who are left behind. And you know that many times people will say something about planning for the future. And many times a part of that planning has to do with planning for death. Planning for when you leave. And that's good. Because the better we plan for that time in a secular sense in terms of preparing our finances and other things and the disposition of things after we're gone, the easier it's going to be for those who are left behind. Remember what Isaiah said to Hezekiah when he was going to die. He said, set your house in order or you're going to die and not live. And that's what we need to do and we need to do it in a practical sense. Now allow me to be a little personal at this point. First of all, I suspect that I have more work to do in that regard. And secondly, let me just relate my father as an example. My dad was a rather impromptu type person. He was a man of action. And sometimes his abruptness maybe rubs some feathers, I suppose, the wrong way. But he would, he was a man who, he would decide something and just do it. It came a point in time when he felt like that uh, milking cows was no longer something that he wanted to continue doing. And one day he said, I'm going to sell the cows. And he sold the cows. My dad was uh, not just a farmer, but he was a school teacher and a preacher. And so he had his hands full with the milk cows, literally so. And he sold the cows. And a few years later, he decided, I'm going to sell the farm. And he sold the farm. Not much consultation with anyone. It was the decision he made. Not long before he passed his life, when he was still pretty able, up in his 80s, though, early 80s, he gathered my three brothers and I together, and he sat down. And he went over all of his finances and how he planned to dispose of everything and how it would be when he was gone. And when he passed his life, it was pretty well taken care of. It was just a matter of we boys getting together and seeing that all of it was executed the way he said. And that's important. That's all very important. It was so easy on us. Now, I don't think that my brothers and I would have squabbled about anything afterwards, but I don't know for sure about that. But I know this, that Dad did not leave any room for that to happen. He took care of it ahead of time. And so you get the idea, don't you, that that's the kind of thing we ought to do. Be conscious of that. But more importantly, we ought to be reconciled to God. That is to be ready for eternity. Answer that question. Where will you spend eternity? And how have you prepared for that? The scripture verse that I related to, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you have God made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And as we look at that book of the Bible, Ephesians, it's interesting to me that when he says that in chapter 2, he can say that there because of what he talked about just before that in chapter 1. And I'm not quoted the way it's there, but let me just paraphrase what is there in chapter 1, verse 11. 14. He speaks about four things there. 
hearing the word, believing the word, trusting the word, and being sealed with the Holy Spirit. You know, we can all hear the word. We can sit here today and hear it. But just hearing it doesn't make the change. We can believe it. But then the devil believes and trembles, doesn't he? But there has to be that third step of putting our trust in it. Saying this is what I, not just believe in, I put my trust in this. And the scripture says you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You believe it. And trust. An illustration I like to use on the farm we lived at before moving to Fulton County, there was a stream that ran across the property. You had to cross a bridge to get to our dwellings. In 1986, we were building a garage on a cement truck come in and it was loaded too heavy and went through the bridge. We rebuilt the bridge. But let's suppose in this day, a big truck was coming our, to our place and called a fuel truck or whatever, and he stops at the bridge. And I'm standing there and I said, uh, what's the problem? He said, well, I don't know whether I can go across that bridge or not. He said, you think it's safe? And I tell him, I said, that bridge is safe. When we rebuilt that bridge, there are two 12 by 18 inch beams underneath of where your truck will cross. Each one of those is rated for 90,000 pounds. That, that bridge will hold the truck. There's no danger and you're going to cross that. And I said, do you believe what I'm telling you? He said, yeah, I, I believe you if you tell me that. Why don't you just get in the truck with me and we'll go across the <laughs> Well, I'd be willing to do that because I know that bridge would hold that truck up there. Actually, I'd seen it happen before, so I knew that. The point is, he might believe that, but until he took that truck and crossed that bridge, he had not put his trust in that bridge. And you can believe that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but until you come to the point of saying that Jesus died for my sins, so that I might have eternal life, then you have my trust in Him for your eternal life. I hope you see what I mean. There's a passage of Scripture I'd like to relate in connection to this. It's in Hebrews chapter 2. And you may want to turn to that. Hebrews chapter 2. That's a, a, a great Scripture. I'll see if I can find it. Hebrews chapter 2. If you would turn to that. Please. And that passage of scripture beginning at verse uh, uh, yeah. beginning at verse 5. And I'm not going to read through that. I'm going to relate to it though. In that passage, the apostle, the writer of the book of Hebrews is talking about man. And he relates back to Psalm 8. And in fact, he's saying there that man was created, made a little lower than the angels, and was crowned with glory and honor. But we know that after Adam was crowned with glory and honor, something happened. We have the fall. And when Adam fell, he kind of surrendered. 
the authority, that position that God had given him. But if you read on, you come down to verse, at the end of verse 8, I guess it is. It says, but now we do not yet see all things put under him, put under man. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. I give that to you for your reference, and you can study that some more. I think that's a precious piece of Scripture. And it kind of puts in, in place who we are and who we are not, but who Christ is and what He did, and how when we receive Christ as our Savior, we are in Christ, and we can benefit from His being crowned with glory and honor. You see what I'm saying in that passage? And we take on that. And the moment I'm going to relate to our being in Christ as such a significant part of our Christian life. And so we need to be conscious of those left behind. We need to be reconciled unto God by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we need to be reconciled to others. I'm not dwelling on this a whole lot. But we don't want to leave this life not being reconciled to all those others around us. Now, Scripture says, as much as lieth in you, be at peace with all. And so that sometimes there's difficult circumstances. But as much as lies within me, I need to be at peace with those around. Now, I know of a couple people right now that, you know, not too favorable toward me. And this has been for a while. And I've prayed about this and I've wanted to, you know, have real harmony with those folks. And I, I would not pass them by if they needed help. I would want to do whatever I could for them. I don't have enmity toward them. I don't have any grudge against them. I don't hold a grudge. And the scripture says we should not. But the point is that we should as much as lie within us be at peace with all. Knowing that we've done our part in that relationship. And of course that speaks of have a forgiving spirit. As Ephesians chapter 4, 32 says, Be kind, considered, patient toward one another, forgiving as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. And don't be like the man who had an enmity toward a neighbor, which lasted for several years. But he was in the hospital that night, he thought he was maybe going to die. He sent word through his family that this neighbor might come and see him. That he might make peace with him. His neighbor did come. And they talked it over and he expressed his sorrow and asked forgiveness and all of that. And they seemingly got along good. And the neighbor was relieved and started to leave the room and started at the door. And the man yelled to him and said, just one thing before you leave. I want it to be understood that if I should get well, it's all off. <laughs> well, that's not forgiveness, is it? <laughs> but we need to prepare with a heart of forgiveness. And the scripture makes it clear that we need to have peace with God, that we need to have peace with others, and we need to have the peace that passeth all understanding. 
which can be fulfilled if all of that is correct. The peace with God, you're justified by faith and have peace with God. Peace with others. Do you love God? Does God love you? Do you love God? And the scripture says, if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. But he that loves his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And then to have that peace of God that passeth all understanding. And then proclaim your faith and practice your faith as you live this life. Living like you know that death might come at any point. That time is short. And we want to make the best use of time. And that has to do with having an assurance of who we are in Christ. Assurance. I've met a number of people who have been in church, and some who have not been in church, but would have expressed some faith in God, even in Christ. But if you were to ask them the question, do you believe that when you die, you'll go to heaven? And they'll say, shake their head, no. And sometimes say, well, you can't know that until you die. Sad indeed if you have to wait till you die to know that. But of course, the scripture in 1 John 5, 13 indicates that these things are written unto you that you might know you have eternal life, that you believe in His Son, and go on from there. You see, if we're truly in Christ and understand what it is to be in Christ, and the benefits of being in Christ, of being a, one of His children, then we can live our lives with assurance and be a testimony to others. You see, if, if you're sitting at a restaurant that you've never eaten in before, and the waitress comes over to the table and you say, I'd like to ask you a question before we order. How long have you worked here? And she said, well, about two years. Well, would you recommend this restaurant as a good place to eat? Is food good here, you think? And she says, well, I've never eaten here. You wouldn't be apt to be well pleased about eating in that restaurant. And so with our life, if we can't express an assurance of where we're going when we die, and express by the grace of God I'm going to heaven when this life is over, how can I lead someone else to eternal life when I'm not sure of the way? Which is through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. You get where I'm coming from. The scripture says that if we're in Christ, anyone's in Christ, we're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things are becoming new because we have a great benefit of being in Christ. That's a difficult concept to understand. And I used to talk about putting a dollar bill in the Bible and saying the Bible represents Christ and the dollar bill represents me. And I put it in there and close it up and wherever that Bible is, the dollar bill is, and so wherever Christ is, I am. Well, that's not a bad illustration. But let me give you what I think is a better illustration. I want you to think a moment about this. Where were you? Where were you one month before you were born? Now, all of you can answer that, right? You didn't realize it then, but you know you were in your mother's womb. You were in your mother one month before you were born. 
And let's suppose on that day, your mother says, well, I think I'm going to go to the local store and get some groceries. And you say, well, I'm not going along to that. I'm going to stay home. <laughs> well, that's ridiculous. And why can't you? Because you're in, you're in your mother. And when you're in Christ, it's the same concept. You see, when you're in your mother's womb, you benefited from all that your mother took in. You benefited from your presence of being in her. And when you're in Christ, you have that benefit of Christ. You have the benefit of the cross. Romans chapter 6 speaks about that. About being dead in Christ. If you were dead in Christ, then you're also alive in His resurrection. Think about all of that, the benefits of being in Christ. You see, in Him, you get it on. You've probably heard the story about the man who had an only son. He loved him very much, and the son passed away. The man was an artist, and he painted uh, pictures, and he painted a picture of his son, which he loved very much and always had it where he could see it. And the man passed away, and he'd left instructions for the disposal of all of his property. It was to be a big auction. Everything was to be sold. He had not only that picture, but a lot of other, other valuable pictures and valuable things. On the day of the auction, there was a pretty good crowd gathered, and they were all ready to see things auctioned off. As the auctioneer stood before the crowd and indicated that they were going to begin the auction, he said that the deceased owner has advised me that the first thing that will go up for auction will be the picture of his son. The portrait of his son. He said, what have I bid for this? He started with $100, no bid. Anyone bid 50? How about 25? 10? 5? Anyone bid on this picture? No one would bid. Finally he said, will anyone take this picture? From the back a man stood up and walked toward the front. And he said, I knew that man. I knew the son, and I knew their relationship and how they loved each other. He said, I don't have any money, but I'd be glad to take the picture if it's okay. And the auctioneer opened the crowd and said, will anyone bid on this picture? No one did. They said, let the man have it. Just go on with the auction. The auctioneer gave the man the picture. And the man walked back, cradling the picture in his arm. The auctioneer looked at the crowd as they were saying, come on, let's, come on, let's go. He looked at the crowd and silenced them and he said, I have this announcement. The auction is now concluded. And they all looked in amazement. What do you mean it's concluded? He said, the man who died said, the auction, the uh, picture will be auctioned first. And whoever got the son got it all. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son does not have life. First John 5, 12. Be assured that we're in Christ. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 2 Timothy 1, 12, he said, For the which cause I also suffer these things, 
Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 2 Timothy 4, 6, For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but also to all of them, all of them who are disappearing. And I trust you love disappearing. And then proceed in our life living in Christ. And do it with rejoicing. I must turn with you to another passage of Scripture. It's found in Titus chapter 2. And it kind of puts it together, what we've been saying. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ourselves, to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, but to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Harold Martin, the remaining surviving founder of BRF, I wrote an article a few years back and it was uh, printed in a publication I received called Heralds of His Coming. And uh, I copied out a little bit of that for just now as it relates to Christ dying for us and His death. And he wrote this and I thought it was rather interesting. He said, great men of this world may be valued for their lives, but Jesus is known above all for His death. The atonement of Jesus is a scarlet cord running through every part of the Bible. It was no ordinary death that Jesus died. That was God Almighty taking Himself, the sin of a fallen race. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the Lord had laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53. Jesus bore my sins in His own body on the tree. Jesus stood where I should have stood. The pains of hell that were my portion were heaped upon him. Jesus died the death that I deserved. i like to close this morning by referring to a passage of Scripture in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. As it relates to who we are in Christ and being in Christ and being able to celebrate and worship our glorious Savior here on earth now. But the picture of Revelation chapter 5 is a heavenly scene. It's a picture of the church, I believe, in heaven at that point. We have there those four living creatures who worship God and the Savior and Jesus. But it's also the 24 elders. And my understanding is, and of course I'm right, that the 24 elders represents the church, the redeemed church. In that story, it goes something like this. The angels wondered who can open this, the book, the scrolls. Who can open the seals? No one has found that they can open it. No one seems to know on earth or in heaven. And it says, and John wept. Because here was this book that was to be opened. The scroll is to be opened. And some call it the title deed of the earth. 
But then it was to reveal the things that were going to happen. The end of the age. No one could be found over in the book and John was weeping and one of the elders stood up. One of the elders. One of the redeemed. Now this is after the rapture of the church. And where are you going to be after the rapture? In heaven, right? You're going to be in that scene. You're going to be there. And one of those, one of you, one of us, is going to, in my way of looking, is going to raise his hand and say, I know who can open the book. I know who can open those seals. And if you look in that passage of Scripture, it's best you look at it. In Revelation chapter 5. Because I want to read the words that are said. And this one of the 24 elders, a redeemed person, I'm going to call him a member of the church, the bride in heaven, says, I know the one to be on. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. He has prevailed. In other words, he is the one who qualifies. He's the one who's worthy to do this. The only one. And it describes him further, but I want to go on ahead to verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals. You were slain and redeemed us by God, by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth forever. And later on, he says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I say all this, but here's what I really want to say. Notice the only one who could tell them who could open the seals. The only one who knew. Now, all I think all of the ones, all of those represented by the 12 elders, could have, but the one. You know why? Because this person knew what it was to be redeemed by this Savior. Angels don't know anything about redemption, do they? Those four creatures, they don't know about that. But those who have been redeemed can say, He's the one who died for my sins. Jesus. And so, I want to conclude with this. How much do you believe God loves you? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son to die on Calvary's cross for your sins and my sins. How much did Jesus love you? Jesus loved you to death, the death of the cross. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you so loved us to be your son. And I pray that as we live our lives now, it's not just a matter of saying, Jesus loved me, this I know. But also, that I want to share that love with others. I want to live with others like I know. You do love me. You want me to love others. Help me to live the life, Lord, that is pleasing to you and to give you praise. For Jesus, you are my glorious Savior and you are worthy of all praise.
that you shed your blood, you gave your life, that I might have eternal life with you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.